Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Hey, we are going to let our lights shine out today. I hope you're ready to do that. I want to welcome you to Commitment Sunday. Our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative has been heading toward this important day in Southwind's history for about a month now. And in just a few moments, we're going to together uh, have the opportunity and the privilege of making decisions that will impact eternity. But before we make our commitments as a church family, we're going to talk about our Southwind's Breakthrough. You know, Breakthrough has been all about asking every person who is part of the Southwind's family to look beyond the present, to look outside of ourselves, out into our community, to look past our lives today and into the next generation, even into eternity, and to ask ourselves the question, what is God calling me to do to fulfill his will for Southwind's church? You know, during Breakthrough, we are seeking to become a people of Breakthrough by sacrificing and serving outside of ourselves, growing in those things. And we have just come through a season called Next Gen. And during that season, we stretched and we sacrificed. We gave as a church family over $2.4 million above and beyond our regular giving. And that's what made this worship center a reality for us. I don't know if you remember this, but this addition of this building increased our ministry capacity, our ministry spaces by over 50%. And what that means practically is that we now have the capacity to reach 1,000 more people each week because of Next Gen. Now, during Breakthrough, what God is doing is calling us to finish what we started. Uh, during these three years of Breakthrough that are ahead of us, our focus is going to remain on reaching the next generation. But we're going to continue to take the good news to Tracy and to Mountain House and to Lathrop and even beyond. And in doing that, we're going to be doing ser several important strategic things. We're, we're praying for 50 new life group leaders uh, that will enable us to connect 500 more adults uh, to life-changing community. Uh, we're going to continue to serve our communities, as you've seen in the video. Southwind Serves is about serving our cities. Uh, Southwind Serves is about making a difference in real, practical, tangible ways. And we're going to be tithing from our breakthrough offerings to resource the projects that we're going to be doing here uh, in Tracy, Mountain House, and in Lathrop. We're also going to be completing projects that we weren't able to do um, during NextGen, like our cross windmill out in the courtyard. Also, uh, like the renewing of our kids' space and our refinery ministry areas. And we're going to strengthen our financial position for the future during Breakthrough. In other words, Breakthrough will resource the continued fulfillment of our mission. Now, I shared this with you last week. Maybe you remember... Ten families in our church have already committed $215,000, which is over 14% of our $1.5 million goal. And that's a great start, and we're praising God for that. But the truth is, to reach our goal, we're going to need every one of us to take part, every one of us to make a commitment to share in the responsibility. Now, at the end of our service today, we're going to have a time where each of you can come and you can bring your offerings up to the front here as a time of worship. Uh, you're going to have the opportunity to bring a, an initial breakthrough gift along with a 36-month breakthrough commitment. But before we do that, we're going to consider what it looks like biblically to break through for the next generation. 
If you haven't gotten your, your Bibles open, I want to encourage you to get them to Exodus chapter 35 and 36. And over the years, you have heard me many times talk about how biblical generosity starts with a counterintuitive understanding that God does not need your money. And a lot of people think that he does. But nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, how many times did Jesus prove this to us? He pulled money out of the mouth of a fish. He, he fed 20,000 people through a little boy's lunch. He stilled storms with a word. I mean, God sneezes out fully furnished universes at will. God does not need our money, and we're not to give because God needs what we have. In fact, you could put it this way. God's primary purpose in giving is not to get money out of our pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. And that is why generosity is not something God wants from you. It is something God wants for you. It's always, always about our hearts. Now, Exodus 35 and 36 is the story of the building of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is the tent where God's presence dwelt. It was the place of worship. And the context historically is this. Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God sent the plagues. He set them free. He takes them through the Red Sea and he destroys the Egyptian army trying to kill them. He leads them with a pillar of cloud by day, a, a pillar of fire by night. He gives them manna in the wilderness, gushing water from a rock. I mean, he's destroyed all their enemies and met all of their needs. And now he's preparing to take them into the promised land. I want you to look at verse 4 of chapter 35 as we begin reading. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Now this is God's call. Listen now to the people's response, verses 20 through 22. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Now these, these people took part in something that far outlasted them. Think about it. The temple was the, the tabernacle was the precursor to the temple. The temple, the precursor to Jesus. And today, 3,500 years later, we are, are still talking about what they did. You see, like them, we can be part of something far bigger than us, something that long outlasts us, something that impacts the next generation, something even that impacts eternity. Now, many of you may remember that it was a year ago, in fact, a year ago this Friday, that my dad died. And since then, like many of you who have gone through times of loss, my thoughts have increasingly turned toward eternity. 
increasingly turn toward realities that last beyond my life. And breakthrough is really about the future. It's really about something beyond me, something beyond you. And I want us to keep that in mind. Breakthrough is not just about today, not just about tomorrow, but it's about the next generation and the generation even beyond that. So our question today is what happens when we break through in generosity? And I want to show you eight insights from these two chapters that we'll move through fairly quickly. Eight insights about breaking through in generosity. Here's the first one. Uh, you can write this down in your message notes. We give in response to God's initiative. Now, God was leading them. The exodus was God's idea, not theirs. They, they weren't building something for God. They were cooperating with God as he built something through them. And again, it's not like God needed their stuff. I mean, it's not like he needed what they had to do what he wanted to do. Think, think about it. The hardest parts of the exodus, God did all by himself. The plagues, God did that. Destroying the Egyptian army, God did it. Manna in the desert when there wasn't any food, that's God. Water from a rock, God. God did all of the hardest parts. He just gave his people an invitation to take part in what he was doing. Now, I want to say to you, God is clearly at work at Southwinds. We are a church that has gone from around 100 people to over 1,200 people in worship. 100 people 27 years ago to 1,200 today. You have been watching these, these last few weeks breakthrough stories. Haven't they been amazing to see these testimonies of what God has done in people's lives? Uh, we've seen these breakthrough stories. God is doing things like that all around us, all the time. So many more stories. 1,247 people have professed faith and received baptism in the last 16 plus years. Every week, just like today, hundreds of children are being discipled every week. Uh, like was going to happen during this week ahead of us, there's going to be many people uh, through our recovery and our care ministries who are going to receive help and hope and healing. Chains of sin are going to be broken. Encouragement is going to happen as deep wounds in people's lives receive comfort and receive support and receive wisdom. I don't know if you know this, but in the last 16 years, we have sent over $1.5 million to mission causes outside of our church here in Tracy, uh, here in our state, here in our country, even all around the world. And I've told you this before, but maybe you've forgotten. Um, our campus, in fact, where you're sitting right now, everything on our campus rests, are you ready for this, on more than $1 million of free dirt. You probably never thought that dirt would be worth a million dollars, but we've got a million dollars of free dirt that was given to us, that God provided for us, that enabled us to have what we have today, part of what he's done. In other words, when you look at all of this, we have so much to be thankful for here at Southwinds. Um, I want to encourage you to not take for granted what God is doing here, God's blessing here. This does not happen in every church. We should be grateful for what God has, do, has done and is doing. Someone emailed me this, Mike, this is not our first campaign with Southwinds. We've been blessed to participate over the years, and every time we can look back and we can see exactly how God has honored the effort to reach Tracy and the surrounding communities. 
God has really worked miracles in people's lives through Southlands, and we have no doubt that he is about to do it again. Someone else wrote this to me. Because God commands us to be generous and to support his kingdom's growth, my wife and I want to give. And I have faith that God is leading us to break through in sharing the gospel. I am in an industry that has allowed me to see the future expansion of our community, and we need to be ready. I've shared this with you before, that there are over 100,000 people at least in Tracy, Mountain House, and Latham who do not know Jesus Christ, who do not have an eternal relationship with him. We need to be ready to minister to those people. And I'm confident that as we respond as God's people in generosity, we have only begun to see what God will do in us and through us. Here's the second insight. God uses our stuff to build his kingdom. God didn't need their stuff. God doesn't need our stuff. But God chooses to use our stuff to build his kingdom. And, and saying that he chooses to use it and he gives us an opportunity to participate is very different than saying that God needs it. You know, when we read the Bible, uh, the work that God does on earth is always facilitated through the gifts of his people. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when Jesus fed the 5,000, do you remember how he did it? He, he used a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. I call that a Hebrew happy meal. Now, obviously, a God who could take one boy's lunch and feed thousands of people didn't need five loaves and two fishes to do that. God could have done that with three loaves and one fish head. He could have done it with nothing at all. He doesn't need our stuff. God simply wants his people to be involved. And so in this case, he allows the lunch of a little boy to be the means by which he blessed thousands of people. God did the same thing in the building of the tabernacle. God still does that today as you and I practice generosity. Someone whose life has been altered forever by God's work here at Southlands wrote me this. Pastor Mike, my wife and I thank you for the many, many ways Southlands has not only blessed us as individuals, but has literally been the reason for our family's very creation. Thank you for taking Southlands into this breakthrough season. We are excited to see what God has in store and how we can be used to do his will. Here's a third thing that we find when we as God's people break through in generosity. Everyone has something to contribute. Look at verse 20 again. It says that the whole Israelite community was involved. And when you read these verses, we see many different kinds of people. The craftsmen did this, so some women did that, uh, some other people would weave cloth. I mean, just this laundry list of different people, everyone had a part. See, God invited everyone to get involved. God did not go after the resources of a handful of wealthy people. And this is important because sometimes people who don't have a lot will, will say to me, I don't understand why I need to give. I mean, I can barely make ends meet. I mean, I see what that guy drives to church, and his tithe must be more than my annual salary. You know, when I hear someone say something like that, I know that they have not grasped gospel generosity yet. See, God isn't after you because he needs your money. God doesn't need a wealthy person's money. God is after our hearts. 
And God said in this case, this offering is for everyone because I want everyone's heart in this. You know, I've been thinking about the different gifts and commitments that will be made. And here's one thing I'm confident of. I am confident that some of the breakthrough gifts that will please God's heart the most will be the very gifts that if we knew about them would impress us the least. I'm confident of that. Because God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the amount. See, just be reminded, we're, we're not in charge of what God gives us. We're in charge of what we do with what God gives us. And everyone has something to contribute. Number four, uh, we break through in generosity when we understand that you can't give what you don't have. Verses 24 and 25 say, Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. See, what these verses imply is that some people had silver and bronze and some people didn't. Some people had acacia wood, some didn't. Not everyone was skilled at, at spinning yarn or linen, but some were. Each one gave out of what God had given to them. And that means you should not feel guilty about not being able to give what you don't have. You know, for some of you, at some point in your life, you might have been capable of giving a lot more than you are right now in the season that you're in, this season of your life. You don't need to feel bad about that. God determines the seasons of your life. You are only responsible to give out of the season that God has sovereignly put you in. See, God doesn't call you to live up to anyone's standard, even your own standard. You just need to be faithful to where God has put you in this season right now. I've had some people ask me, well, am I supposed to give from my income while I'm in debt? And I believe biblically the answer is yes. Anytime God provides you with income, you should use some of it to be generous. Because giving is about putting God first in our lives, and the Bible never gives exception clauses. Uh, if you're in debt, maybe because of, of choices that you have made, maybe that haven't honored God, then it's possible you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. But if you do that, you just need to move on. Live in his grace. Trust God to walk with you through this season of getting out of debt. And it may be difficult. But if you want God's blessing, why wouldn't you trust him during this season of getting out of debt by being as generous as you possibly you know, most of us have modest income, but we still have bills, right? All God's children got bills. And all God's people said, you know, we all got bills. We all have all kinds of bills, you know, credit card bills and school loans and, and car payments and a mortgage. I mean, it's tight for us. You say, well, do I give then? Yes. Biblically, the answer is yes, because generosity should always be part of our lives. Why? Because God is always providing for us. And we should therefore always be thanking him by our generosity. I think sometimes we need kids to teach us. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, this week, I came across a letter that we actually got at the beginning of, of Next Gen. And it was from a seven-year-old girl, and she actually wrote it to 
the church family. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to quote it word for word, all right? Here's what it says. Dear Southwinds Church, me and my sister bought a box of candy at Costco. Then we put on our next-gen T-shirts and went door-to-door selling candy for a dollar. That's D-O-L-L-E-R, in case you were wondering. She said, we raised $34.40. I'm wondering who she charged extra 40 cents to. And then she said, we felt very happy and delighted. This was just one day. We have five more days to raise more for the next gen before Sunday morning. And I read that again, and my heart was touched again. And I have to tell you, Southwinds, I am praying that you would be very happy and delighted. I am praying that you would know much joy as you experience the generosity of God in your life and express that generosity out to this world. I am praying that we will know the words that Jesus spoke to us. Do you remember these words? Jesus said, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Generosity leads to joy. And we can all experience that because everyone has something to contribute and we just give out of what God has given us. Fifth, we give in response to grace. Now, what grace had these people seen? Well, first of all, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. But you need to know this. If you read through Exodus, more fresh on their minds, just back a couple chapters, Exodus 32, you find this horrible thing that the people did. Do you remember what happened when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and he's up there for a while? Do you remember how Israel showed their devotion to God? Well, if you don't, I'll tell you. They, they got drunk, through a party, got naked, danced around a, a golden calf that they had made an idol, claiming this is our God. And God is about to judge them. God is about to destroy them. And Moses intercedes. And God has mercy. See, they knew in Exodus 35 that God should have destroyed them, that they should have died, that, that we shouldn't be here. They are overwhelmed with God's grace. In fact, it's kind of an interesting thing to observe. If you look at verse 22 again, it says they gave gold jewelry of all kinds. Now think about this. Where did a bunch of slaves get a bunch of jewelry like this? And the answer is back in Exodus 12, where we see that they are, as they were leaving Egypt, God caused the spirit of fear to come over the Egyptians. God told his people to request that the Egyptians give them their stuff, and they did. And the Bible says that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. And that means that they are only giving back to God from what he had given them. They are just giving out of the blessing that they received. Do you understand that's always true? Do you understand that's never not true? Do you understand, as we've talked about a couple times during Breakthrough, that everything you have comes from who? comes from God. Everything you have ultimately really is owned by who? God. We all have what we have by God's grace. And so as we give, we're simply giving out of his generosity to us. So I'm wondering, as, as you have prayed about what God would have you do for breakthrough, has the grace of God to you been on your mind? Someone emailed me this this week. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. 
This has been our go-to verse whenever we think about giving back to God. From early on in our marriage, paying off school loans and then paycheck to paycheck, we've always experienced abundance when we give. Maybe not always in money, but always in peace and joy. Every time we've been obedient in giving to God, he has always provided. Sometimes as a miracle, like a bonus or unexpected gift. Sometimes it comes as slow, steady provision. Sometimes it just comes as the gift of peace, knowing all is well. We believe breakthrough represents an opportunity placed before us to worship God, to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, and we look forward to seeing what breakthroughs God will orchestrate in all of our lives as we obey him. Amen? When we break through in generosity, we also see this, number six, that giving is both free and spirit-led. Listen to these verses. Chapter 35, verse 5 says, From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And then look at verses 21 and 22. Again, it says, Everyone who's willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing... Men and women alike came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, and he lists these. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Then in verse 29 it says, All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. I mean, what do you see in all these verses? You see willingness. You see freedom. There's no compulsion at all. Whose ever heart moved them, whoever was willing. But then it also says this, verses 30 and 31. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. A few verses later, chapter 36, verse 2, it says, Then Moses summoned Bezalel, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Now, what do we see here? We see that God's Spirit puts things into their hearts and they respond. Just like that today, God's Spirit works inside us to show us how we are to give. To be a Christ follower, friend, means that the Holy Spirit is living inside you, that he has taken possession of you, and the Holy Spirit moves in us to show us the role that we are to play in God's mission. See, my role as your pastor is not to play the Holy Spirit. It is just to ask you, have you asked the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do? what your role is in this process. See, I can't tell you that, but I can say this. If you are a Christ follower, you ought to at least ask God what he wants you to do. You should be saying, God, it all belongs to you. I know that. I thank you for allowing me to use what you've given me to be a steward of your resources. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to give? And then you're just to give from your heart. Now, I'm not saying that you give only like when you get a tingly feeling at church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 
makes it very clear, among other passages, that our, our giving should be disciplined and systematic. It says each of you should bring a gift each week. You determine what you're going to give and set that aside to give it. But we should also at the same time be seeking the Spirit's counsel on how much that should be. Someone wrote me this yesterday. My wife and I have done our best to live our lives as an expression of our gratitude we have tried to model generosity with our kids, and this includes our time and even our money. In this season of life, we can see how blessed we have been. And it is with a happy heart that we step forward to do our part in breakthrough. See, all of us are free to give as we are willing. But we should also be listening to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit as he speaks to us and tells us what we should do. Here's number seven. We give publicly. Now this comes uh, from verse five of chapter 35 where it says, from what you have, take an offering to the Lord. And this word in Hebrew translated offering is, is teruma. It means literally to raise up. Uh, maybe you have an old King James Version. If you were to read that, they called this the heave offering. And so they would, they would bring their offering to God as part of the worship service. And the last thing they would do is they would they would heave it up for all to see. We don't say heave that much anymore. In fact, when I say heave, you probably think of stuff that we don't really want to do in church, right? Um, but this is about publicly giving, about identifying with God's people, about identifying with God's mission, about saying, we are part of this. We believe in what God is doing. I received this email this week, and this person addressed their email as a challenge to the entire Southwinds family. Here's what they wrote. I want my life to mean something. I want to be able to stand before God with confidence when he asked me how I spent my time here. Maybe this is harder than I thought. Maybe I've actually been hanging by a thread of grace for most of my life. Maybe I need to sacrifice more. Maybe it won't feel like a sacrifice at all but more like the sensation of becoming unnumbed. It's time, friends. Time to step out and risk more. Time to dream dreams bigger than we have previously imagined. Time to mourn with those who mourn, to bring beauty where there are ashes, to announce a new season in our world. This isn't mere altruism. It's more than a tax write-off. It's an opportunity to live the lives we were meant to live, that our world and our surrounding community need us to live. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone and they said to me, Pastor Mike, I hope that you will keep reminding all of us that we are doing this for our children and for the children after them, for generations still to come. See, breakthrough is not just about today, it's not just about tomorrow. What we are doing here, friends, will ripple out into eternity. And it will only be in eternity that we will know all the results of what we do. Number eight. Last point. It's my favorite point. What happens when we break through in generosity? Well, you can write this down. Your pastor might have to tell you to stop giving. You guys are a little confused by that, I know. But here's where this comes from. Chapter 36, verses 5 through 7, it says, They said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. 
No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Don't bring any more. Those words actually confuse me as a pastor, I have to tell you. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. So Moses had to call a congregational meeting to tell the people to stop giving. Just one time, Southwinds. Just one time in my life, please. Would you give me the privilege of experiencing these verses? Just one time. That's all I'm asking. I mean, I, I promise that I'll do a good job of calling the meeting. I mean, I'll call it immediately. I promise I'll preach the shortest sermon you have ever heard me preach. Pastor Jay, he's going to do an interpretive dance. Pa Pastor Chris, well, we don't know what he's going to do. But I promise you it's all going to be awesome. It'll be a service to remember. But here's the point. I mean, think about this. All of this giving from all of these people was motivated not by the perception of a need, but by the overflow of grateful hearts. I want to tell you a very important lesson that I've learned. The most generous gifts are never motivated by guilt, but always by grace. See, when our hearts are full of love, and gratitude for the God who sent his only son for us and saved us from our sins. When we see how gracious God is to invite us to join him in his kingdom work. That we get to be a part of his eternal plan by leveraging our temporary stuff for eternal dividends. All in grateful response to him. When we do that, see that, get that, that creates joyful, sacrificial, lifelong generosity. Again. God doesn't need your money. What God wants is your heart. And when God has our hearts, everything else falls into place. And so I think the question from these two chapters is this. If this is how those people gave in response to what they had seen, how much more should we give in response to what we've seen. I mean, they had been delivered from political slavery. We have been delivered from judgment and death. They offered a Passover lamb to be rescued from Egypt, but Jesus himself became our Passover lamb to deliver us from judgment and hell. They were building a tabernacle where God's presence could dwell and sacrifices could be offered to cover their sins. Jesus himself, God's only son, made us his tabernacle and he dwells in us and he has come to put our sin away forever by offering his own body as a sacrifice on the cross. I mean, if that's how they gave in response to what they saw, what more should we do? How much more should we give? See, as we come to a conclusion, I'm going to take us back to a place in the New Testament that we've been uh, before, where, where Paul articulates the lessons that we have just been learning, these principles. And it's in 2 Corinthians 9, some verses between 6 and 15. And Paul talks about the one thing I think that most often keeps Christians from giving. Let me read some verses and make some observations. Verses 6 and 7 say, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let me ask you, what's the number one reason most people don't give? I think the answer is fear. I mean, a lot of people want to be generous, but they're afraid. I mean, what if we can't make ends meet one day? What if I lose my job? What if the economy tanks again? And you want to be generous, but you're afraid. And, and, and you're afraid because you see your money as your only security for the future. And so fear keeps you from doing what you think God wants you to do. I want you to listen to what someone here at Southlands wrote me this week. The practice of generosity with money has not come naturally to me. Money has represented security to me to the point that it became my idol. I feared loss so greatly, I clung to the idea that if I just had enough money, I'd be okay. Ironically, God has never chosen to bless me with even modest wealth. In fact, for most of my adult life, my husband and I have struggled to make ends meet. This only fueled my fear and ultimately stifled my ability to trust God. Events in our family leading up to the 2016 next-gen commitment rendered us broken, financially speaking. Two kids in college, old constantly breaking down cars, a new lower-paying job for my husband. Yikes, it was a difficult time. We had been tithing consistently for a while, but the idea of giving above that was impossible for me to fathom. However, when we walked out of service that day in 2016, my husband told me a number, a goal of extra giving he thought we should commit to. It was ridiculous. No way, I said. How can we possibly do that? But truthfully, that exact same number had popped into my head as I listened to Mike that day. It was $20,000. I had immediately brushed it aside as fanciful thinking, but when my husband uttered that amount, I knew that however ridiculous, foolish, and impossible I thought it was, God was in it. He would provide. Thus, we set out on our generosity journey. How did we do it? God was faithful to us. He was faithful even though I feared and I doubted. The kids were still in college. The car still needed to be fixed. But God provided for our family. We completed our goal. That ridiculous, impossible goal. My breakthrough was not so much that God provided the money to meet the goal. It was not about the money at all. The breakthrough was how this grew and deepened my trust in God. His steadfast faithfulness conquered my fear and crushed my idol. I am free. I have broken through fear. See, fear will paralyze you and keep you from doing what you know God's telling you to do. And Paul is just saying, when it comes to giving, don't be afraid. Why? Well, listen to verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able, Paul says, to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Verses 10 and 11 say, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. This is just saying God will take care of his people. Amen? That's all that Paul is telling us. And I want to be be clear here. You need to make sure you don't over-spiritualize this, all right? Paul says in every way. Do you want to know what in every way means in the Greek? Let me give it to you. It means, are you ready? In every way. Do I need to say that again? In every way. And the truth is, yes, God will use generosity to enrich your heart. He will use it to tear down your dependence on money. He will use it to increase your joy. He may also use your generosity as a means to multiply your financial capacity to give, which means enriching you financially even more sometimes. Now, Paul is not in any way talking about some of that stuff you see on TV. He's not talking about some dumb name-it-claim-it strategy. He's not talking about you doing stupid things and giving money that you don't have. He's talking about God taking care of you when you honor him and when you give generously, even when it scares you. Someone wrote me this this week. Pastor Mike, I have many testimonies to share how God has blessed us when we practice generosity. A few years ago, my wife did some work for which she got paid $1,000. We decided to give the whole amount to our church. God is so faithful and kept his promise. If you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Our reward came in multiples of three. Shortly after this, I got a bonus of $3,000. We decided that we would also give that amount to the church that we were part of. And that year, not only did I get the bonus, but I also got an increase in my salary. Now, does God always work like that? No. But sometimes he does. And I'm confident that if we were to survey across this room, many of you would be able to give examples where you knew as you trusted God and you were generous with God and with his resources to you that he provided in spectacular ways, even financial ways. Paul ends his passage with these familiar words. Verse 15 of chapter 9 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And again, we're reminded we give because we're overwhelmed by grace, the grace of Jesus. It's the same thing Paul was saying one chapter back, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And I'm just telling you, if you have any grasp of how much grace that God has shown you, giving will just naturally rise up out of your heart, just like breathing. Grace understood Grace experienced always leads to generosity expressed. And so I just today want to be like Paul. I want you to feel no compulsion or reluctance. Each of you just needs to decide in your own heart what to give. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. And so the question for you is going to be, and hopefully you've already asked it, what represents a gift from your heart? What honors the Lord? What costs me something? Someone wrote me, you often hear you can't outgive God. 
And when I reflect on what God has sacrificed for me, it is embarrassing to think that giving back what is already his is sacrificial. When I look into the face of my new grandchild and I think of all the new babes in Christ that will come to know him through our expansion, what sacrifice is worthy of the sharing of the gospel to this next generation? You know, breakthrough for some of us is going to be a breakthrough in generosity. For some of us, this will be the time that you step out in faith and you begin tithing. Maybe you've never done that before in your life. Is this where God is calling you? Is your breakthrough going to be that you're going to trust him and obey him by, by tithing and giving the full tithe? For as others of us who have been tithing, God's calling us to go far beyond that. And I wish I could share with you the stories of some families who have already made deep, deep sacrifices during this season, stepping out in faith and committing to God some things. They don't know how God's going to provide, but they're trusting him to do that because they believe God has told them. I've kind of wrestled with this, but I feel like the Lord is saying me to lead, to say two things to you as I close. Here's the first. Some of us have written down a commitment that may not truly be a sacrificial commitment. And I'm not going to pressure you. I mean, you, you're the only one besides the Holy Spirit who knows what you've written down, but is God's Spirit calling you to something more? Some of us may need to scratch off what we've written and write a different number down. Second, others of us honestly have not really prayed and thought this through. Maybe you've been procrastinating. Maybe the honest truth is this whole breakthrough thing just annoys you, right? <laughs> it's okay. I know it's true for some of us. Now, again, I hesitate to say this, but if you're truly not spiritually ready to make a commitment, maybe you need to keep your commitment card and just go home and pray about it. Truly seek God and ask him what obedience would mean for you and for your family. And then bring the card back next week or mail it in sometime before Celebration Sunday in two weeks. In other words, make sure that you're committing to the Lord what you're committing reflects his goodness and reflects his grace to you. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come now. And we're together as God's people going to pray. Uh, we're going uh, to receive our, our regular offering first, just the, the regular one that we give as we worship together. And then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to pray again, and we're going to enter again into another time of worship. And it really is intended to be a time of worship. And, and as we pray and as we sing, uh, you're going to have the opportunity uh, to bring your, your initial breakthrough gift and your 36-month breakthrough commitment. And we're asking that all of God's people, as we express this together, come forward and, and place our gifts in the basket so that we together can honor the Lord who loved us so much that he gave us his only son.